Welcome aboard and buckle up. You're now listening to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Now, let's dive in, go deep, share ideas, and take a good look at what we in the benefits industry can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy. And now, live from Zero Studios, your host, the more infamous than famous, Jim Milloway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. This is an in-depth look at what we in the benefits industry can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy, which, which entails an evolved mindset using modern approaches, customer delight, data analytics, and the best possible experience to shift this industry where it needs to be. We're super excited to hear your questions. No questions too big and no questions too small. Uh, my name's Jim Milloway. I'm CEO at the Zero Card, and I'll be fielding all the questions today. And I want to have a big thank you to our special guest, Lee Lewis. Lee's a longtime industry leader and a big advocate for the shift we're focused on during this show. A little bit about Lee's background. Lee and I have known each other for a number of years. Uh, his experience in our industry is practically unrivaled. In 2019, he was recognized with the industry's top honor as the outstanding national consultant for large and jumbo employers by the Validation Institute. He's been quoted and featured in Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. He was the founder of Gallagher's Innovation Lab, as, as well as a founding charter member of Health Rosetta. He now serves as a chief strategy officer and the GM of medical solutions for the Health Transformation Alliance. Lee also once wore an eye patch for two years and spent a summer embedded within President Clinton's Secret Service Youth Tactical Internship Initiative. And I couldn't be happier to welcome Lee to the show. Thanks, Lee. That's terrible. There are definitely some made-up things within that uh, within that bio, right there. Yes, they are. But 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 let's tell people what's true: the eye patch for two years, or being embedded in the Secret Surf Youth Tactical Initiative. Actually, the the the, the truth out of those two is yeah. the eye patch. I did. Uh, I had an infection in in my eye, and I went blind for a couple of years. And while it healed, I I had to wear an eye patch for for well over a year. But I have, I have nothing to do with the Secret Service. They definitely would not let me in. <laughs> uh, well, perfect. Hey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself beyond, you know, the truths and half-truths that I just told. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, I just am a, a guy who is in, really enthusiastic about helping to advance the, the triple aim, the quadruple aim, health equality, right, of um, making healthcare so that it's awesome, so that it's easy for people to use, that uh, delivers great outcomes and helps people to get to the right places and rewards and empowers physicians who are doing the right things uh, and uh, while, while providing the incentives and incentive alignment so that everybody wins and, and the whole system improves. Uh, you know, the, the ultimate dream is that maybe one day we catch up to like, Singapore, and we get to where uh, healthcare is only like five percent or four percent of GDP and delivers incredible outcomes. But that's the uh, that's the fight. Perfect. Hey, Lisa, we'll talk about some big industry shifts that you're seeing or have seen and expect to see, and then we'll we'll field questions at the same time. But let's dig into kind of the shifts. You know, you've been at this work for a long time, right? And we talk about the types of shifts that we see over the years, and I think we're all pushing towards this shift that's focused on the member. So when you think about big shifts, tell us about some that you've seen in recent years. Yeah, so there, there's a few, probably the one that I think is really interesting is the shift towards the employer taking an active role in reforming healthcare. 
the way I kind of think about it uh, is that, you know, in 2008, that was kind of a bellwether year where we have a charismatic uh, new president, uh, a Democrat whose, whose goal is to try and get, ref, you know, reform on healthcare. And that's, that's the big push during the, the first critical term, right? So uh, ACA is passed. And for four years, the whole national conversation is focused on reforming healthcare. And, um, you know, that occurs, we go through there, ACA happens, lots of new and interesting things in, in terms of, of coverage, cost continues to, to escalate like crazy over that decade. And then, you know, almost 10 years uh, later, not to the month, but I mean, like 10 years later, April of 2018, um, you know, clearly it, it costs have still gone crazy and you have this incredible announcement where three of the, you know, richest men in the world, kings of enterprise, uh, step forward, Buffett, Bezos, Diamond, and say, hey, we, like, it's now on our radar and we're going to be trying to do things to, to reform this whole thing. And, and, you know, what ultimately results out of that remains to be seen, but I think it's a really good kind of symbolic gesture of a shift in the national conversation away from government-centered reform to employer-centered reform, where now it is in the hands of employers to step forward and demand as the customers the changes they, they want to see. I love it. You, you know, so I've been telling people for years, right, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, the Calvary ain't coming from D.C. or your state capital to fix this. Nope. And, you, you know, this is you know, it's wonderful to see, right, as, as you mentioned, kings of enterprise kind of step in and say, we've had enough and, and we know how to take big, big, hard problems, right, and make and, and fix them. Uh, you know, what I'm excited about is even with that happening, we're still seeing the shift in the smaller and midsize employer who for the first time ever realizes they can pull some levers uh, to make some change. So I think it's, so do you see this are you seeing as much in the jumbo and the midsize, the small? Are you seeing anyone a little bit more innovative than others? Or are you seeing it everywhere? I'm seeing it everywhere, but it looks a little different at each place. So uh, I work mostly with large and jumbo employers. And uh, when, they, when they move. Okay. So Lee's looks like he's having a little bit of a connectivity problem. So I'll kind of monologue here for a second. Likely Lee can still hear me. So Lee, you might just have to jump off uh, the video for a second, but this will be interesting to hear kind of Lee's take on this, uh, right? So Lee's really well connected industry-wide. Uh, here you go, where he's back. Yeah, sorry about that. I could hear you. My, uh, my video blanked out there for a second. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, the change I think is important where in my role, I mostly work with large and jumbo employers. Uh, and when they when they take action, it's very broad and it's scalable, generally speaking. Uh, but as we know, healthcare is like politics; it's really local, right? And so, what happens? You know, healthcare for an individual who lives in Kansas City is the plan that's given to them. You know, potentially by an employer, and it's the hospitals that are local to them in their in their town and that's that is american healthcare for someone who lives there right what's happening in other states doesn't really you know affect them in a in a way that is tangible 
and so small employers are able to operate really, really well at that local level, much better than, than really than large employers are able to do. Uh, they know the area better and there's, there's more of a focus there. And so I see incredible innovations happening with very small groups uh, that, you know, I think are pretty remarkable just as really big companies are, are doing broad, bold strokes as well that affect lots of people at once. And so I wouldn't say that the, one side is more innovative than the other, but they are different. No, that's fair. And, you know, one of these things when we start to see employers get more involved and one of the first things that we started to see right in the late 2000s, early 2010-ish was really an influx of data and data-driven solutions. So these might have been transparency tools or shopping tools or advocacy tools. And, yeah. you know, they had so much promise and we never saw the cost impacted, at least in our experience, you know, near what the promise was. Right. I, I would say that's the, you know, if you're, if we're thinking of big shifts, to me, that one has been really interesting to watch, right? In 2007, you have Castlight uh, kind of emerge onto the scene. I think Forbes names them a top innovative company in the world or something. And, and you have this promise that we're now going to be able to give regular people, moms and dads, the, some way to be able to see the price of healthcare. And so... Uh, with them, there are a dozen other companies that come onto the scene that provide all this information about, about cost. In 2012, with ACA passing, 2014, you start to see quality information, you know, really start to flow in as well. There were little bits and pieces before then, but, but now there's lots of databases where you can get quality data. And, um, and then sort of last year, we, we start to see the emergence of appropriateness data and invasiveness data. There's all these other metrics. And even while all of the, the, the information around how to be able to buy healthcare is being democratized into the hands of people, um, you see that over like the same 10 years, the, the use per capita is almost going down. It's, it's almost like the more we give people, the less it gets used. And that's even while our deductibles are going through the roof. And that's disheartening, right? It's, it's almost like saying, hey, uncle, I, I can't navigate healthcare. It's just too hard. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I think, I, I think employers are becoming more and more aware of as they've become more involved, right, as the, as the shift has moved towards them to kind of be the advocates for themselves and for their employees. And oftentimes still today, when we're talking the the brokers that we work with or the employers that are existing customers or prospective customers, I don't think they understand how well designed the healthcare system is in this country. And for a specific example, you know, everyone tells you healthcare is broken. I don't believe that for one second, right? This is, the output is exactly what it's designed to do. And, you know, my co-founder, uh, who's also our chief medical officer and a physician, came from a large integrated health system. And before Dr. Schwartz and I started ZeroCard, within this integrated health system, he had the incredibly bright idea to, to go and converse with all the physicians under his management, right? So 300 plus physicians. And the conversation was pretty straightforward. Wouldn't you rather just focus on patient care and get rid of all this insurance mumbo jumbo and referrals? And they said, absolutely. Right. By the time Stan retired and left that clinic, they had 63 full-time employees that were sitting in a referral center. So every time you went and saw an employed physician, you needed an imaging study, right? You needed physical therapy. You needed a referral to an orthopedic specialist. All those referrals, right, they built a wonderfully efficient system to move people to the highest cost setting as quickly as possible. And I, I, I still, to this day, I don't think that the average consumer appreciates 
how well designed that system is and how stacked the deck is against them. Mm. That's a great way to put it. It's uh, yeah. They've shown that they can follow incentives really well. Unfortunately, right. the incentives are not aligned with regular families. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, and, and you know what's interesting too is, right, so healthcare in a really expensive underperforming setting is pretty frictionless at the beginning, right? You go see the doctor, everybody's pleasant, you got to get referred on, don't worry, the referral center will call you. Like everything's pretty frictionless and happens easily. You know, it doesn't really, really get painful, right? Until all the bills start coming in, right? And then you don't know right. who this, you don't know if you're supposed to pay the bill when the paper's green or do you wait for the paper to turn yellow? Right, uh, pink. right? I prefer pink, personally. Pink, pink. Yeah, that's pink is the dangerous one, right? So that's, that, the dangerous that's the one that catches my attention. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's, that's how I know. That's how I know. Yeah, so, yeah, so pink. And then you're getting bills from, you know, anesthesiology groups in Maryland and you've never been to Maryland in your life. No. And, and I know I paid this thing. We paid this thing last month, didn't we, honey? Like, I, I yeah. feel like we totally paid this like months ago and now it's back and these boomerang bills, but I don't want to go to collection. So it's starting to change colors, better pay it. It's, it's brutal. Nobody can track all this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think when I think about the three, if you think about the three key metrics you need to move any market, whether that's healthcare or ride sharing or whatever it may be, Right. In rational marketplaces, consumers make decisions on three big metrics, right? What's the cost? What's the quality? How convenient is this? Right. Right. Cost, quality, service. That's yeah. rational consumer decision making in a free market. Right. And I think when we look at transparency tools and all this data and all these resources that we've puked on the public, yeah. right? I, I think they were hyper focused on look at this crazy cost variance or look at this crazy quality variance and no one stepped back to thought like, would a normal human being want to go through any of these steps, much less 20 of them, right? And so no one's really nailed the user experience or from a design perspective. And so how do you think about how important is convenience, right, in this whole realm of service from your perspective? Totally essential. The way that a couple of, I guess, stories that come to mind. Uh, one of them, I was uh, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I had a meeting with the benefits team at Google. I was super excited to go there because I heard all these stories about free sushi, right? I mean, yeah, clearly, you know, I'm, I'm operating at a real high level. So I'm, I'm in the Uber, uh, headed to the office. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm fidgeting with my bag. And um, the, the driver's making polite conversation. She asked what I did. I told her and she goes, oh, I love my healthcare. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm like never going to leave my job because I love my healthcare so much. And I'm, you know, and I sat forward like this. I'm like, what? Like I've helped consult like over 2 million total aggregated lives. I have worked in this industry for, you know, the better part of a decade. Never once have I heard anyone say that in the wild. Um, you know, tell me what this magical thing is that you have, right? Like I've never heard this before. So I'm sitting there hanging on every word. Her name is Cheryl. She goes, uh, Yeah. And, and what she said, you know, not spoiler alert, it's like the most logical common sense thing. We all know basically what she said. She said, when I get sick, I know exactly where to go. She said, when I go there, they, you know, I have a relationship with the doctor and uh, it's affordable. I don't have to pay crazy amounts. And if something goes really bad, uh, they know where to send me so that I can get better. And I'm like, why do I even have a job? 
right? Like we don't need consultants to tell you how to make great care. That's the most logical, normal thing. I'm like, I want that plan too, right? And (laughs) I'm sitting here as this overpaid schlep in the back of the car. And um, so then she says, uh, the only thing that did catch me by surprise that I absolutely love, she didn't say I can go anywhere I want to go, right? Which is usually what we default to. In a world where you don't understand anything about healthcare, the only thing that you know you want is I at least want to be able to choose where I go to the doctor. And so we, we value choice. But where this woman had convenience and trust, a relationship, affordability, um, and quality, she didn't say, I want to go anywhere I want. She said, I know where I'm supposed to go. I know exactly where I'm supposed to go if something goes wrong. And I feel calm. And I feel safe. And I know how it works. And I don't need to worry and, uh, you know, illness hath not like this, this specter of danger that hangs over it, right? And, uh, and that has been in, like, that moment changed my whole life and career and has been really kind of a guiding force in terms of thinking, how do we make simple, easy, affordable care where people know where they're supposed to go and they can have absolute trust that it delivers the quality they need to get better? You know, that's a great story. And I think it speaks back to why we're not seeing people engage with the tools that we thought as an industry they might engage with, right? Because they're not simple. And, you know, you bring up a good point. Cheryl brings up a good point. Like this idea of calm is important, right? Like I feel in control. This isn't, this isn't completely unknown. And, you know, I've long believed, and you and I have talked about this before, Lee, like we're overcomplicated, right? Like, yep. you, you know, bad decisions should be, should be difficult and expensive, a uh, good decision should be simple and free. So no out-of-pocket costs. That's and, exactly right. You, you know, it, it's amazing what happens, right, when we make choices binary, right? Like I know better, right? I've got young kids and you've got young kids. There is, there is not a restaurant on planet Earth where I would give my six-year-old son five different options of what he's going to eat, right? Like, it's like, dude, you want chicken tenders or you want mac and cheese? That's right. Right? Because as soon as like my mom, as soon as my mom or someone in the family is like, well, they also have corn dogs. I'm like, no, 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 like, no, 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 no. Like these are binary choices, like choose one or the other. And so, uh, I, I mean, I think Cheryl nailed it, right? Like, how do we just make this normal for people, right? Yeah. Like Uber, Uber never, Uber never said, we've matched you up with 12 different drivers. Which one do you want? No, 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 no. I want, I, I want someone else to handle it who has all the data and experience and expertise and that they, they make it good. And if you ask any person, you say, what doctor do you want? If you ask any person, they all effectively say the same thing. I want the good one, right? Yeah. Everyone wants the same doctor. They want the good one. I want the best one. That's the doctor that I want. And so people don't answer, I want all of them. Nobody wants every doctor. They want the good one. And so we just need to make it really, really easy for people to get to the good one. And we need to make it really valuable to be the good one. And if we can do those two things, change the entire system. I love it. That shift. So as we're kind of talking about the member choice, right? And you sure brought up a good point. It's just knowing where to go. It's, it's, it's not knowing that you have an option to go 50 different places, but you know, let's talk about some of the things that happened without these employees or these members' consent, right? Like, you know, specifically the shift. If you can kind of give us the historical perspective of the shift to primary care from independent to employed and what we've seen today, 
and how health plans and and how health systems right have weaponized right their patient populations without ever asking for consent that's that's exactly right something that we you know that that i focus on a lot that concerns me if you say okay what keeps me up at night this is something that this something scares me it's that independent primary care is is uh, in a, you know, in, is is in a position where it is financially unstable. The bureaucracy and burden is is escalating rapidly, and that independent primary care is is selling in very very large numbers, and many of them are selling uh, selling or getting controlled by. Sometimes it's not a full ownership, but I mean it's essentially you're being controlled, and if they're surrendering that control to a hospital system then the hospital system uses the primary care as a proxy for referrals and they use that as a way to control the patient. And if you can control the patient, then you can push back really hard on, on networks and insurance carriers to get better deals because you, you sort of have that vertically integrated market. You know business anyway. So you don't have to, you don't have to give great pricing to anybody. On the other hand, if, if the primary care is getting either controlled by or sold to uh, insurance carriers or, or networks, they then can, can you know, divert the, uh, the referrals, at least in theory, they can control where those referrals go and they can choke off or starve off a hospital system uh, with, with whom they're antagonistic. And so they can use that as leverage to be able to, to negotiate a better deal. And so you have this sort of power struggle that's played out for many years of systems versus networks. And, and the primary care, and more importantly, the patient, is is being weaponized in order to win in that in that battle. And and in no case is you know is the patient and the family and the outcome and the quality is that that's and certainly not the price. No matter who wins, you lose. It's like alien versus predator in this situation. Sorry to make that reference. It was the only thing my brain came up with. Right there. <laughs> but the uh, but we need we need to re-empower patients. We need to re-empower physicians. We need to align the incentives and make it profitable and uh, and high and really high value uh, as a business to do the right thing for patients. That's great. And so you know, as we're kind of getting towards the end here, I encourage people. We see a couple of questions coming in, but if you have questions, be sure to use the chat feature uh, here on the Zoom meeting. But we'll keep kind of dialoguing back and forth for the next few minutes as some of those come in. Lee, when you look at, is, it, is there a specific insurance, this is going to be a broad question, an insurance carrier, right, a health system, right, uh, a brokerage firm, it, is there somebody so different out there that's, that really seems to have not only nailed it from an idea standpoint of how they accelerate this shift to the member first economy, but also executing on it? Like, who, who are the people or groups of people that are really impressing you right now? Yeah, it, it depends on the space. So here's the first one. We we have to tip our hats. Um, if you look at all cell phones before 2007, they were very different. You had some with a little flip open keyboard and others had a flip top. There's the Moto Razor, uh, which, you know, when I went to high school, that was like the cool phone that the rich kids had, right? And then you have the little Nokia bricks. I mean, there was all this a very, very wide variety of cell phones. Within a couple of years after 2007, guess what every phone looked like? They all look like this. And that's because Apple cracked the code on the best user experience. And I'm not saying that, that the way our phones look now is the last UX that's going to be done. 
someone else will figure out something that's better. And, and, and when someone finds something better than our current UX, the entire market will go there. And I don't think that Samsung loves Apple. And I definitely don't think Research in Motion, the BlackBerry, loves Apple, right? But guess what? Samsung phones, and if they still make Blackberries, whatever the most recent one was that was created, they look a lot like an iPhone. The iPhone user experience that exists today, love them or hate them, Kaiser has kind of nailed it. If people are on a Kaiser HMO, they like it. It's simple and easy. It's not complicated. No one expects them to be a consumer. No one expects them to make big, bold decisions. You know where you're supposed to go. And you can go there and it's affordable. And there's a million reasons that I don't, you know, that I try not to use Kaiser. I'm not necessarily in, in, in espousing that all members go there. I, I like being uh, an employer who's able to control as the customer the way care is delivered. I like the transparency of self-funding, all of that. Not, a, not an advocate of, of just, you know, put all your lives with Kaiser. But guess what? We need to acknowledge a great user experience when we see it. And that, that user experience needs to be simple and easy and people need to know where to go. So just like Samsung probably doesn't love iPhone, we can hate Kaiser all we want. That's a strong word. You can dislike Kaiser as strongly <laughs> as you want. But guess what? They figured out a great user experience. Let's, let's, let's use that in our own products, right? And so I guess that's, that's one that I like. There's, there are employers. One of my heroes, uh, you know, developed a model of, of healthcare. It's, you know, you, you had a big part in that too. Uh, gas station company out of your, home, your, your state. or I don't know if you're still living in Oklahoma, but you might still be. Um, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. they figured out a model. I went in, so I heard how amazing the healthcare was. This is a gas station chain, right? And I went into one of the gas stations. This is how, I mean, this says something more about me and how I might have a few screws loose, but I did this. Went into the gas station, found a woman. Her name was Lisa, 21 years old. She's the, uh, the clerk at the gas station. And so I was there just kind of creeping around, looking at Mountain Dew and waiting for everybody to leave the, uh, the gas station. And then I went up to her and I said, hey, I hear you guys have amazing healthcare. I actually work in healthcare and I want to know if the rumors are true. Like, do you participate in the healthcare plan? Like, do you guys, do you use the healthcare uh, of your employer? And she goes, yeah. And I, and it's, it's great. I love it. She goes, I know exactly where I need to go for primary care. And if I go there, it doesn't cost me anything. I live in Dallas, by the way, this is in Dallas. Uh, but this company is headquartered out of Oklahoma. And uh, she said, yeah, I know exactly where to go and it's free. And I'm like, that's amazing. And I said, well, what happens if you need more care? She's like, well, we have to go to this particular hospital system. And that's where we go for care. And if we do that, then we never even have to get our wallet out. I can go in, they see who, my, who I am, and I get services. And then when I leave, I have part of my copay come out of my next check and part come out of the next check. I don't remember the exact amount. It's like a couple hundred dollars out of each check. And she's like, I never get a bill. I never get weird mail. I never have to worry about it. It's the best. And I'm like, you just explained to me your healthcare plan better than I can explain my own healthcare plan. And I'm massively overpaid to be an, a, a complete expert in health plans, right? And I just got completely schooled by someone who knows nothing about healthcare, who is uh, who's, who's a, an attendant in, in a retail gas station. And I said, well, don't you hate being told where to go? And she goes, no, I love it. 
Like I know exactly where I'm supposed to go and they're expecting me there and I never have to get my wallet out and I never get an invoice and I don't get weird mail. And, uh, and, I, and if I don't have any money in the bank, I don't have to go to a pawn shop or a credit card or, or raid my 401k in order to pay for it. What is not to love about that? And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, why am I still employed? This is amazing. And uh, it, there, there's so much that we can learn about all of this. And uh, we, we, need to, we need to redesign the delivery, that's all. So anyway, okay, sorry, so, that's a long story there. No, that's great. And it's perfect timing. And maybe you were cheating off the questions from the, from the panel from the audience or not, but either way, it's a great segue. So this question, no kidding, is coming from a good friend of ours named Bryce Hayback. Oh. Uh, so Bryce, who was, who was with Bryce a lot of other really, about this stuff. Yeah, really, really bright people uh, around him was the architect of that play and you're talking about at the Quick Trip Corporation. So here's, here's Bryce's comment. Uh, first, some niceties for Lee. He said, I love the dialogue and I very much respect you too. But I believe one of the most difficult things here is the actual change it takes for an employer to walk away from the old traditional insurance and its procedures and practices. What suggestions do you have for employers that are looking to make a big shift and what solutions should they be looking at to get them there? Yeah. Um, each employer, I think we all have a common ultimate destination. Uh, I think the road to get there is going to be different for everybody. Uh, but there are a few, there's a few base camps that you should reach. I think uh, the way I think about it, base camp one is you got to liberate your data and eliminate the waste. You, you, you need to be having a concurrent continuous review of your claims. There's way too much fraud, waste, and abuse. Uh, and the carriers do, honestly, I think a pretty good job at eliminating most of it. Uh, but there's got to be, you know, but there's more. The second is you've got to get control over your administration, whether you're using a, a, a TPA, independent TPA, a carrier-owned TPA, or you build your own TPA. Uh, I think that you should have your accountant, the one paying all those claims, should be an entity that is separated from, uh, from whoever's networking to set up the contracts with all the hospitals. That, that's me. Uh, the third is you need to maximize the clinical deployment. You, there's lots of great solutions that can help a lot of people that are going to take years to get to them, but we can deploy them remotely through our health plans. I think you, you upgrade all of that as, as fast as you can. Uh, the fourth is you figure out your supply chain, your primary care. You need to make it easy and accessible and then figure out where people should refer for specialty care that is reasonable. And then finally, you, you overhaul the user the user experience, make it simple and easy. I think if, if you sort of hit those major areas uh, in whatever order you want, I think, that's how we, I think that's how we get there. But I don't know if that's a good answer or not. It was probably over long. No, no. You know, they're always good answers, but they're always long with Lee Lewis, you know, so I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> hey, no, but you know what, Lee, because here's another question that came in, and I, and I think, you know, this might be a loaded question because I certainly have sensitivity around this, but like, and the question is, what's the number one thing that you think will force the shift the quickest? And I'll kind of preface that with saying, and we've talked a lot about it in the last 31 minutes. My sense is, you know, Samsung didn't start copying the iPhone because they thought it looked pretty, right? Samsung started copying the iPhone because the end user demanded that simplicity. Is the end user's demand for simplicity the number one thing that's going to force this shift the quickest? 100%. There are, 
within surgeries, something that we're looking at right now is there are certain types of surgery that are completely obsolete, that have been done the same way for 30 years with bone saws and cracking ribs and stuff like that. And there are robots now that can just insert cameras with very tiny incisions and do the exact same surgery. And you get better in 48 hours instead of two months. And these aren't widespread. And you say to the hospital, why in the world haven't you retired the old model that is completely obsolete? It's, it's super dangerous and takes months to recover. And they said, well, the customer, customer's not demanding it. Why should we change? Yeah. It's expensive and, to change. Yeah, and people are still paying me for it. Getting paid full price. Nobody's yeah. asking for anything different. Better question might be, why are we even, you know, focusing so much on, on adding new technology? if it's not broken and we need to make the customer demand the change we want to see and, and self-funded employers are the customers to do so. I think that's a, it's a great step forward. And the, you know, the way you direct the spend is you make it easy and cheap to do the right thing. And I know that's something, you know, not to plug zero card for you, but that's something that you're, you're really focused on Jim. And I, and I think is, is right on. Hey, Lee, I appreciate this. We're a few minutes over, but I expected that, you know, I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, we need to do these more often. Next time I won't be on family vacation, you know, and I'll have better lighting. So apologies to our many guests. Uh, that won't affect the people that listen to us on the podcast. But beyond that, I hope this has been useful and helpful, informative and fun. I know it's been fun for me. I hope it's been fun for you, Lee. Uh, I want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, everybody hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter. Let me know what's on your mind. Let's get shift done. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Stay healthy, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed Flying Zero Studios on our destination to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Be sure to subscribe and review our podcast. And don't forget to join us for each and every episode as we accelerate the shift to the member-first economy.